Libby writes with Brian Scott Libby. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Wednesday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Rights Podcast. Today, we have an awesome guest on Tyler Siski, former associate AD of player personnel at Ole Miss, former director of player personnel at Alabama, and of course, my Rebel Grove cohort, co-host of the McCready and Siski Show, a terrific podcast on the Rivals Rebel Grove MPW podcast network. They talk football. They have some great guests and coaches on, and Siski has some awesome stories, some of which he shared on here. Um, but really, just someone I wanted to have on for a long time. Siski's the man. Uh, we talked about his career more than two decades long in college football, working for Nick Saban, Hugh Freeze, um, pivoting out of the industry into his latest venture. He's the founder and CEO of Quick Recruiting. So we talked about that some as well. And uh, of course, a bunch of stories along the way. So I think you'll really enjoy this conversation. I appreciate him doing this. But before we get to that, I want to remind you, podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has propelled Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Football season's around the corner. Build up your bankroll before then by signing up for Skybox NASCAR. Skybox NASCAR Mark Harris is crushing it right now. If you want to bet on obscure sport and print money every week, I'd suggest you do that. And then go online and sign up for a picks package. They have any picks package that'll fit your price range. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. I'd recommend signing up for the year-long all sports access. You'll thank me later. They're the only way to profit in the long run. You're not going to profit off your own brain and your own leads, you know, 10 minutes before kickoff. Sign up for Skybox Sports Picks today. Type in the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. That'll get you 20% off. They'll send you the picks in a color-coded spreadsheet with uh, based off of units, how confident they are in it, and boom, you are more equipped to profit than you were five minutes before signing up for Skybox. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg if you're a Rippy Wright subscriber. That's rippywrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me and discounted meats right now. It's a 16 ounce or six three ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. It's about a $40 valuation you're getting there for 20 bucks. Just go in there, show Greg proof of subscription. You'll get you, he'll get you set up. Then go find all your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. It's prime grilling season. LB's is a crown jewel of Oxford. Make your grilling experience great by going to LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here is Tyler Siski. All right, we now welcome on probably the long-awaited uh, first appearance for uh, Tyler Siski, longtime recruiting guru. I can't go over all your titles. My cohort, to some degree, at rebelgrove.com. You might have been the easiest podcast guest to book ever. Uh, some guys won't even just respond to you. I'd rather have people tell me to piss off than just not respond. I had texted you or messaged you at like three hours before we did this. Like, can you go tonight? I was like, I absolutely can. I appreciate you doing this, man. How you been? Well, I know the bot that you've reached the bottom of the barrel in your guest, and that's and that's dangerous considering that we're in May and you got three months left. Yeah, it's 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 uh, baseball has forced us into summer mode, but no, no, this is top of the barrel stuff. Honestly, like I, I don't even know. I might have your people just tell me you can't do it if I if I'd not had the Rebel Grove connection. Of course, oh, I'm yeah. happy, but I appreciate the time. I've been wanting to do this for a while. And, you know, you got to kind of pick your spots with guests, but I just kind of wanted to get in your background, do some different stuff to kind of talk about your path. And I guess we'll kind of start there. So you well, we'll actually go in reverse order. You're now a podcaster extraordinaire. Do you, I don't, is that first line of the resume stuff? 
Like absolutely, so, yeah, it goes it goes to the top now. When you when did you guys first start doing that? I like listening to you and Neil. Granted, my commute when I left Dallas turned from forty five minutes to two, but I can spread it out a little more now and play it in my office. I love listening to you guys and talking football. You'll have great guests on. When is the first time you got approached about doing a podcast and we were like, can I really do this? How did that kind of work? Um, you know, as a coach through the years, I've done shows here and there. Um, and really, uh, first time I actually really sat down and did anything was with a guy named Mickey Ryan, who now has a show um, in Nashville. Um, their sports talk radio there in Nash- does in Nashville covers the Titans and stuff like that. He was actually in Jonesboro at Arkansas State. Um, and so – I got, you know, I enjoy talking sports. I enjoy um, bullshitting a little bit, and I enjoy um, just telling things like they are. I, I don't like the – I'm not the – as you can't tell, I don't uh, I don't just tell what people want to hear. I tell the, I tell what I think is my opinion and truth, and if they can like it or not, but I enjoy that. And so um, I started doing some stuff with him, and, like, the we had some off time. I'd go sit in with his afternoon call-in show and just – I like freelance and stuff. I don't like prepping. I think uh, even when I speak, do public speaking, I, I, I'm i not the guy – I can't write out an outline. Right. Because I feel like if I'm too prepared, it's too mechanical and not genuine. Um, so I just shoot it off the cuff. And anyway, long story short, when I got out of it, I started um, – I said, you know what? Everybody was doing a podcast. I said, let's try one. So uh, just did it for fun uh, once a week and then uh, got a, a monster sponsorship uh, pretty quick. And uh, they've kind of been with me ever since. Um, and now it's, you know, monster owns rain. So when um, about, I want to say it was, it was about a year, year and a half ago or so, um, I was approached to put my podcast on a network. Um, and I called Neil and Neil has been a friend of mine forever. Um, and I was really calling Neil about advice on how to do this stuff. I I don't know. I just get on the, get on a microphone and start talking. Right. And he was like, Hey, if, if you're interested in going on network, I'm interested in putting your show on our stuff. And and for me, it it wasn't, you know, I've already had the sponsorship on the outside for monster. So it wasn't really, uh, I'm not doing it for money. Um, right. And so I just do it for fun. And um, so I, I jumped on there with Neil, uh, did that for a little while. And then uh, we did that probably for about six or eight months, the home visit with uh, Tyler Siskin Associates. And I we had, uh, I did a show, I did something with Neil. I don't remember what it was. I did something with Neil. And actually the guys at Monster had listened to the show and they were like, hey, you, t- you two guys are great together, you know, you y'all should look at doing something. And I'm not, a, I can't do a bunch of different podcasts cause I don't have time. Um, so our, our multiple shows. And so we kind of decided to, to kill home visit and just do our show McCready and Siski together. Yeah. And it's, it's very good because obviously Neil's worked in the, like the reporting and kind of journalism side of it, if you want to call it that at this point in whatever the industry is, and you have a great background in working in D1 college athletics. It really is. And y'all can both talk very well. And it's really kind of a match made in heaven. How long did it take? Like, I remember when I had Weldon on for the first time, I needed a football guy. I had a basketball and a baseball guy. And I was like, all right, who can I, like, who can I find? And Weldon actually texted me asking like, Hey, how do I get into this podcast space? And I was like, shit, funny. You should ask, man, why don't we try this thing out? And I remember I was like, all right, how do we kind of figure out how to get synergy, such a lame corporate term, but like on the same page and figure out how it works. 
it seems pretty seamless with you and Neil. Did that take any time at all, or did that kind of happen immediately? Um, I don't think so because I don't – and that's probably why I dropped so many F-bombs and I pissed so many people off – is I don't feel like we're doing a podcast. I feel like it's right. Neil and I on the phone talking, and we would have these conversations. We've been having these conversations for a long time. I've known Neil for a long time. He he actually covered our – when I was a high school coach way back in, you know – the mid early two thousands. Um, so what that's almost 20 years ago now, 15 to 20 years ago, Neil was when he was at the mobile press register and all that, he would cover, uh, when I was a high school coach. So I actually met him then. So I've known Neil for a long time. And then obviously when, um, I came to Ole Miss with Hugh freeze, um, in the 2012 season, I'm, I'm my CT is kicking in. I can't remember years very well. Um, we kind of reconnected um, and I've just always trusted Neil and Neil um, Neil was one of the very few. Uh, he was a, he's a journalist, right? He's not a, a, a he wasn't a typical um, rivals guy or a typical two, four, seven guy or on three, whatever it is. And, and I could trust him. And that was really important for me because we kind of helped each other. You know, he would help me, I would help him. And it wasn't just Neil. I mean, I, I, I really, um, I think uh, Ole Miss is very lucky to have the people. They have a lot of really high quality people on, on multiple sides. You know, I really like David Johnson. I like Chuck. Um, I like Ben a lot. I, I think the the whole beat is uh, really good and very professional and very good uh, that you can trust them. You know, so I, I kind of rekindled that with uh, friendship with Neil. And we've we've been pretty close ever since I came back. What 10, 10 11 years ago. The start of your career, when you get out of school, I think you started as a GA at Northwestern State. How Take me through being a GA and then going to the high school ranks. Did you have a plan? Like, did you know what you wanted to do, what you wanted to be? I mean, I'm example number one of how plans change. I was trying to work in whatever it was, ended up in radio, then working for a grease peddling company. And then now I'm back here doing marketing for private equity and doing this stuff on the side. When you kind of left college or left that GA position, did you have a plan as to what you wanted to do? How did you kind of see your future at that point? Yeah, I always wanted to coach. I really didn't. Um, you know, contrary to popular belief, I'm not an ego guy. Um, like I don't care, uh, how much I'm getting paid as long as the commas are in the right place, what my title is. I just want, sure. I want the commas to be in the right place. Uh, but I got into coaching. It was very, very odd. I, I, uh, I actually started at Troy before Northwestern state okay. was supposed to be my last year playing. Right. And so, um, I was helping my dad paint a house on June the 23rd of 2000 and I fell 40 feet off of a roof. And that ended my playing days for for good. Uh, Larry Blakeney called me up in the uh, hospital and asked me, hey, I got a spot coaching inside receivers. Would you be interested? I was like, yes, sir. You know, because I, I was going to be finished. My whole plan was I was just going to finish my degree and go be a high school coach, right? Um, and I always considered myself a smart player, uh, but I realized really quick I didn't know anything once I started coaching. Um, but it's funny how, you know, people call it fate. You can call it whatever you want to. Um, I don't believe I've told the story before um, on Neil's show for sure, but um, I had th – these things don't happen anymore. I was – we had one computer um, in the building. And this was in – this would have been the um, – this would have been December of 2000. We had one computer with the internet in the entire football building, and it was located in the video coordinator's office. And I go in there, and there was a website that was just starting called Football School. Yeah. Um, and Scott Roussel, who owns it now, he actually did not even own it then. Somebody else did. 
and they had a posting for a GA job and a and also coaching tight ends at Northwestern State. Um, and and it said, you know, call this number. Well, it's like around graduation, Christmas time, you know, and um, I'm graduating my undergrad. I literally pick up, I had the long distance code. I picked up the phone next to the computer in the video coordinators and I call the number. Well, the head coach, Steve Roberts, picks the phone up and answers it. And um, we talk for like 30 minutes and he hires me over the phone. Well, years later, because he ends up, he's the head coach of Northwestern State. I go with him to Arkansas State, the whole deal. He hires me back full time as a receivers coach. So obviously a very important person in my career. Turns out the no one was in the office that day. He had hidden his wife's Christmas present in, in his office. And he just happened to be driving. He went back to the office to pick up her gift to go put under the Christmas tree. And as he was walking towards his office, the phone rang that was in the secretary's office and he just picked it up. Wow. Like if it wasn't, I mean, if it was 45 seconds, yeah. either direction, he would have never answered the phone. I had gone to voicemail. So um, you talk about how fate or how, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that's kind of how, it, that's kind of how it worked out. I was just very, very fortunate and very extremely lucky. I hit the lottery. I remember I left, I was actually technically a GA in a much different sense for a year. I left college trying to find a job, not knowing exactly what I wanted to do. And they offered me a GA spot as Ole Miss's in-house reporter in 2018. And I've always wondered how it worked for football guys, because I took it for the job. I was like, all right, this is in-house, but like, this is a good platform. Like I'm sticking around SEC football covering Ole Miss. And then they're like, oh, by the way, you got to pick a graduate program. And I was like, what? You're a graduate assistant. You got to go to class and stuff. And I was like, I don't know, man, just stick me in a program. I think it ended up in the IMC program. But like I took it for the job. Like how, how on I hate to I hate to out your uh, academic prowess here, but like how on a scale of one to zero, how uh, motivated were you by the school side? Rick, do I really have to go to class? How does that actually work from a football side? I, I was motivated by the zero. I, I didn't. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, but that's every every GA in America, right? That coaches football. I mean, you you just finish your undergrad. You're not really um, interested in getting a graduate degree. Um, it served no purpose for me. Um, but at the same time, you have to do it to right. be a GA. Um, I actually uh, was a GA at Northwestern State, had the worst GA job ever. Um, I actually had to teach uh, two classes a semester. So I actually taught, I had my own role the whole deal. I taught two classes a semester. Um, I taught a health and wellness class. I, I taught a, um, a uh, health and wellness. I taught weight training. I taught, I mean, these are like legit classes. I was the teacher on record. So we had to teach two classes um, and we got a stipend. Okay. So they, they paid us $600 a month for 10 months. So we got $6,000 a year. All right. Now, mind you, when I say it's the worst GA job in America is we did, we were not on scholarship. So I had to pay my tuition, but I was oh, only, wow. getting, yeah. And so I was out of state tuition. My tuition bill was like 8,800 bucks. So when I, I literally paid to be a college coach, I paid, I was in the hole 2,800 bucks for the year. And that's not counting living expenses and all that stuff. So I took student loans out for my, um, my grad degree. Um, and my wife who's now my wife, uh, we were engaged at the time and she was a nurse. She'd already graduated. And she moved to Natchitoches, Louisiana, and she kind of and she helped support me um, early in my career while I was a GA, wasn't making any money. 
So from there, where does it go? I mean, at what point do you dip to the high school ranks? And it's always interesting yeah. to me how guys jump from high school to college. How did that kind of work? Did you figure you'd be at high school forever? Well, how'd that go? Yeah, so I I went – I was – we were at Northwestern for a year. Um, we won there. Uh, Steve Roberts gets the head coaching job at Arkansas State. And so I go from um, Northwestern State to Arkansas State with him still as a GA. I uh, was a GA there the first two seasons there. Uh, with him so I've been a GA for three years and so it was time for me to get a job and so my wife and I got married and it was time for me to get a real job um, I interviewed everywhere I was a young I was extremely young I was you know 25 26 years old um, I interviewed everywhere um, again funny how things work out I actually thought I had a job I'd been offered a job at Central Michigan with a guy named Brian Kelly um, wow. and and took the job and then got it rescinded after um he had a buddy get fired from Purdue or something. I can't remember. And he ended up hiring him instead, which is business that happens. Um, and so I didn't care. I had to get a job. And so I interviewed at three places. And so uh, for high school jobs back in back, I uh, had two in Alabama um, and one in right outside of Atlanta at uh, I think it was Monroe area high school uh, being the coordinator there. And then uh, Jerry Hood that was at Oak Mountain offered me a, a coordinator spot, but I did not have a teaching certificate. So I had a master's and this is this is our great education system, right? I had a master's in education, but could not teach high school. And it already taught college classes, mind you. I already taught college classes, but I couldn't teach high school, right? So good, good job, public schools. So in Alabama, I mean, in most places at a private school, you don't need a um, you don't need a teaching certificate. And so in the state of Alabama, they had a uh, kind of a loophole in it. If you if you did two years in a private school, you could kind of just take the test to get your teaching certificate. Um, so I went to St. Paul's in Mobile. Um, you know, I didn't have any. I had some college stuff, but it was all smaller. It was really it was smaller school stuff, D2 stuff uh, that wasn't really paying anything. Um, I'm talking about like 18, 14 to 18 thousand dollars a year. And I was like, I, I'm not doing that. I didn't I, I didn't want it that bad. Um, so I went to be a high school coach. Did that for four years um, there at St. Paul's. And uh, whenever – and Coach Roberts always, always told me, hey, look, first time anybody leaves, I'm going to hire you back. And just nobody ever left. And it's just different times. You know, now everybody leaves every five minutes, right? Um, but finally somebody left, and he hired me back as a receivers coach. Were you trying to get back into college as quickly as possible, or were you kind of content where you were as a high school coach? Because that's always kind of a fine line to walk. Well, they're so totally different environments. I would not say as fast as possible. I actually had uh, two opportunities the year before. Um, one, the I had a D2 um, opportunity that I turned down, and then I came really close. I actually had an FCS uh, coordinator opportunity um, that I ended up, I turned down, one, because I was going to take a pay cut, but two, that it was a dead-end job. The guy was going to get fired at the end of the year, and everybody knew it. Barring some major – Turned around, it was it was a one year deal, and I was getting well taken care of at St. Paul's at that time. So I actually turned that down, um, and then once uh, the Arkansas State opportunity, the FBS opportunity came by, I took that. You were the uh, receivers coach while you were at Arkansas State, correct? That, I've always. How does that work? Like I know a lot of it's. I know some of it's like recruiting based, but I've always wondered with coaches, like you didn't play receiver, did you? When you played, you were a. You played I receiver. Did. Okay, so that works out. But a lot of times there's guys that don't like play, like coach the position they play. Like, what is that actually like trying to learn a position you didn't play? Is it a lot? Like, are you playing catch up a lot or is it pretty seamless? 
Well, I, I've coached everything on the offensive side of the ball. Um, I mean, I've even I started as uh, tight ends and tackles coach, so I, I didn't I didn't play tight end or offensive line. No, I, I don't think you have to be. I don't think you have to coach or have to play the position to coach it. I think you got to know what you're talking about, and you got to understand the techniques. And there's a lot of carryover um, depending on what position you're you're coaching. Um, you know, like in tight end, a lot of receiver play, a lot of route running when it comes to tight end. You have you do have to learn the fundamentals of, uh, you know, pass blocking, you know, definitely, back, especially back in those days, because basically in the in the old school days, a, a tight end was nothing but a glorified tackle. Right. So you had to learn all the um, and literally the run blocking rules for a tight end was exactly the same as an open side uh, tackle. So the two really married. So you had to learn um what you're doing but it's not as hard it's not as difficult and it'd be a, it's, it's totally different going from defense to offense and offense to defense I, I think that's that's a you know I mean that's you know Spanish and English that's two different totally two different things but really anything on the on the uh, offensive side of the ball is pretty easy um if you know the basics how do you become a good recruiter every now every it feels like every time someone hires an assistant now the guy's like oh and he's a good recruiter too it's like well what does that actually mean but then there's a select few guys that you know are actually good recruiters do you have to learn how to become a great recruiter how does that the art of recruiting work in terms of you learning it as a coach yeah i think i was terrible when i first started um, really yeah i do I, I really i mean um i'm not i'm not uh, too proud to say i was a guru or anything the whole you know my my career or anything like that i, I think it's something that you have to get reps at um, I, I was just very um, – I didn't know what I was doing. And, and you you have to be thrown in the fire. You have to go through ups and downs. You have to learn. And, and I was um, – I took everything for a grain of salt. I worked my ass off. Um, you know, a lot of recruiting is work ethic. That That's, that's a lot of it. And, and you have to – you know, I, I don't remember who told me. I probably should. But I remember having a coach tell me early in my career, says you should spend every single day – of your life, you should spend a minimum of 30 day, 30 minutes a day on recruiting, even in the off season. And so I took that to heart and and I did. And like I usually do, I'm, I'm a little extra and a little bit of everything. So I took that to heart and spent a little bit more than 30 minutes a day. And, and I just, it was something that I had to work at. I knew if I was going to be in the business for a long time. Um, and I, I'll tell you this, like Lance Thompson, who's now in Maryland, he's been around a long time. He, he was, he was uh, the lead recruiter for St. Paul's. And he told me, He's like, hey, you, you know, you got to work at it. And he explained a lot of things to me, helped me a ton uh, early in my career as far as just being a guy that I didn't work with him. He just knew me and, um, you know, gave me a lot of good advice. But the the biggest thing is you have to – when I learned what I got out of high school helped me so much when it came to recruiting. I saw – I was very fortunate to have a lot of really national – you know, some guys are still playing, right? A lot of national guys on my high school team – and I saw every coach in America come in there and do their pitch, right? I mean, I, I saw every one of them. I mean, from Pete Carroll to Nick Saban and everybody in between, Ed Orgeron. I mean, I remember one day where we had Pete Carroll, Nick Saban, Ed Orgeron, and uh, Mike Rick there, uh, Mark Rick, at the same time, you know, on the same day. And you see all these coaches' as pitch pitches, and then you go to your kids and say, hey, what would you like about that guy? You know, and what – all that. So I really used a lot of that. And I really found, and this is when I kind of started picking up a steam a little bit, that the guys that have the most success recruiting are the guys that don't bullshit the kids and you, and you, and you're honest with them. Um, and I stopped trying to be a used car salesman and just started being myself. And then, 
you know, and I, I did not negative recruit. I mean, I did a lot. I separated myself by just being normal. And as crazy as that sounds, just being yourself and being normal is different from it differentiates you from everybody else. How difficult was it to go from on the field at Arkansas State to off the field when you take the job with Hugh Freeze at Ole Miss? How much decision-making went into that process? Obviously, it's a step up in terms of program stature, but you go from an on-field coach to off the field coach. Did that take a lot of thought or like, no, sir, I'll be there tomorrow? Well, it took a lot of thought. Um, it was hard. <laughs> I mean, and Hugh knows it. Um, it was very, it was uh, very difficult, um, you know, I literally was calling the plays in the bowl game to going off the field at Ole Miss a month later, you know, or not even that long, three weeks, however it was. We played the bowl game like January 9th that year, and I I had to uh, wait for my paperwork to go through, and I showed up. So that was very difficult. Um, I did everything legally I could do. I'm not going to say that here in case the wrong people are listening. Um, everything legally I could do here um, at Ole Miss, and, and still I was still involved very heavily in the offense. Um, my, when I was here with you, um, but legally, everything I could do legally, um, and our good friend, Julie Owen, who's now at, uh, Kansas state, she would always make sure that I, I was encouraging, wasn't instructing. I was encouraging. So sure. I have to use that, that a lot. Um, but yeah, that was hard. I, I didn't, I never envisioned doing the recruiting thing. That wasn't, that wasn't part of the plan. Um, I didn't, I didn't uh, expect to be doing it for a long time. Uh, and uh, maybe a year or so. And then when, you know, Nick Saban calls you out of the blue, it, you know, things kind of take a, you know, life takes a different turn. Why did Hugh Freeze call you? What's that? Why did Hugh Freeze call you? Did you know who he was? Like, how did that happen? Were you surprised? So when he hired me? Yeah. So Hugh was, I was already at Arkansas State as a receivers coach, and right. Hugh, Hugh was hired as the offensive coordinator. That's right. I forget he was there before he was the head coach there. Yeah, okay. So he was the offensive coordinator. And then when Steve Roberts got fired, he got the head job. Okay. So what's his pitch to you? Like you mentioned it was difficult and all that. What what was his pitch to you to become an off the field recruiting guy at Ole Miss? I mean, it wasn't really a I mean it wasn't really a pitch. It was like this is what I got, you know. And um, look, I, I really love you. I do. I know there's people listening to this podcast. I get it. You know, the same people on the message board, right? They they're gonna have their opinions. I love Hugh. I think he's uh, – I know him, who he is. Um, I don't just see what I see in public. I see him in private. I know who he is. He's been really good to me. He's been really good to my family. Um, it was a different – I really enjoyed coaching with Hugh. Um, it's very family-oriented. You feel like you can be a human being and still be a coach at the same time, and there's a lot of places you go you can't. you got to pick one or the other. Um, and I, I think that, you know, when he uh, – when he came here, there were some things he had to do staff-wise, and I understood it. I mean, I, I get it. And uh, my role really didn't change minus my title. Um, so there were a lot of things that were behind the scenes that were getting done that a lot of people don't know because of my title. You're inheriting a roster that I don't think anyone that first year would thought would win four games. I was a senior in high school at the time, and I remember vehemently arguing with like friends that like I don't think they're going to be that bad. I very much had no basis for that. It was basically just blind optimism. When you inherit a roster like that in a situation that you guys took over, what are those first meetings like? Is there at a point where you're just like, holy shit? Yeah, there was a lot of those. Um, I like to say we had one and a half SEC players on that team. Okay. Um, it was bad. It was bad. Um, I mean, it was bad. It's, 
I, I say this, and I'm not even joking. I, I think they should build a statue of Hugh Freeze in that 2012 season. You almost they, won nine games. I could have. It was crazy. I it had no business being in any game. It had none. I mean, we had um, – I was joking with uh, – he still brings it up this day. Uh, Matt, you know, Matt Luke was coaching offensive line. He would be like in the tank, man. I mean, every week would be in a tank. Like, I don't know how we're going to block these guys. And we literally would design plays. And we literally say, I literally say, hey, man, just get them out of the way. Just get them out of the way. And we would, you know, tell the offense line literally to block everybody block right. And we would call it sucker. It was, you know, because defenses are coached to read blocks, right? So we would actually design plays where everybody was blocking to the right. And so the defense would go to the right and we would hand the ball off to the left. And uh there and I'm sure we got a ton of Ole Miss fans on here. They can they they're more than welcome to go back and watch. But our our first, I will never forget our first touchdown. Against Alabama, we took the lead on them. this year. They won the national championship. We took the lead on them, you know, late in the first quarter. We literally ran sucker. We we sent the whole offensive line to the left, and we handed the ball off to Randall Mackey around the right end. And so you're just praying to God he didn't get hit in the face by the unblocked defensive end. And if he gets by him, then you then you're then you're in business. So we just we we did a lot of smoke and mirrors. Um, we went from. Uh, you know, the year before at Arkansas State, we stayed in, in man protection. We were in, you know, from an offensive line perspective, which we called, you know, 50 was our five-man protection, 60 was our six-man protection. We were in man protection at Arkansas State probably 80 to 85% of the time because we could hold up. And then the next year at Arkansas, uh, here at Ole Miss, I, be, I bet we didn't run man protection three, four times a game. Everything was just smoke and mirrors. Um, so, it worked, man. I, I, it was a, it was a great, unbelievable coaching job by Hugh, um, and you know the defense bought in. We, we we were we were not very good. And so you mentioned like when you get a call from Nick Saban out of the blue, that kind of changes things for you. Did you ever anticipate that phone call would come one year after working at an SEC program? How, what was that call like? Did you think it was a prank call? Did you just immediately get nervous? Well, how does that happen? Yeah, I'm telling some good stories here. So. I'm sitting in – it's the day the day before signing day, the day before signing day, the 2013 class. And so we're in a staff meeting uh, that morning. That was a Tuesday morning. We're in a staff meeting going over the board. Like, are we going to get these guys? You know, we're going over the whole board. And the whole time that, the like, my phone started ringing. Um, and I got on silent, but I looked down, and I got – I'm getting all these phone calls from Tuscaloosa numbers, right? And so I'm like, it's weird. So anyway, we finished the meeting and we had this big circular. I sat right across from Hugh. We had this big circular staff room and he, he says, hey, won't you stay in here with me? Let's me and you go over this one more time and let everybody else go. So we broke the meeting. And I remember, so I sat across from him. I got up and I walked around. I sat next to him and um, his secretary comes in and she's, you know, going over some stuff with him before we start going. And while she's doing that, I start listening to voicemails. And I went, huh, that's funny. And he goes, what? And he goes, that's Lance. I said, that was Lance Thompson at Alabama wants me to call him back. And um, so I'm, I'm like, that's weird. The day before signing day. And we were recruiting like Tony Connor and us and Tony Connor were Alabama. And then Larry McTonson, Alabama had a, an outside shot on. And then, um, you know, uh, Golson kid was Auburn. Yeah. But Alabama was playing with him. So, Hugh goes, hey, call him back. He's trying to get some information. Let's see, let's see what he wants to do. 
and see what he, what he's talking about. So I call Lance back on the phone. I'm sitting right next to Hughes, like Hughes sitting to my right. And I call him. I say, hey, Lance, Tyler Siski calling you back. He's like, hey, man, you by yourself? And, and Hugh, I got him. On, I got him. You can hear all this. And I look at Hugh and he goes, tell him, yeah, tell him, yeah. And so I said, yeah, we're, I'm by myself. And he goes, hey, look, uh, we got a job open running recruiting. Uh, Nick Saban wants to talk to you. And then I look at, I look at, now I'm uncomfortable. And so. Yeah, there's no way to, to play that out. Holy yeah, shit. And so, and Hugh hears all this. And so I look at Hugh and he looks at me, he goes, yes. And I think Hugh thought it was a joke. I kind of did too, you know? And so um, I got on the phone with Nick right there and he was telling me about it, all this stuff. I didn't hear anything. So this was first of February. I didn't hear anything for like, I don't know, a month. I mean, that was the last phone call I had. And then didn't hear anything for a month. And then um, we were on spring break and I was going to get my, and my kids were, uh, my wife was working here at the hospital. And so she couldn't get off. So I was just hanging around town. And um, I'll go to get my haircut at, uh, can't remember the name of the place, but I'm going to get, get my haircut. And Hugh calls me and goes, Nick called me. He asked permission to speak to you. I want this over. If you're going, I want it done. I want it done. I don't want to drag this thing out. And I was like, okay. And um, nobody calls me from Alabama. Not one phone call. Didn't get the first phone call. And I get my haircut. And I'm just, well, I'm getting anyway. Um, I go home and my email dings and I have a reservation for a hotel room in Tuscaloosa, Alabama for that night. And Before nobody's called. Call. No phone call. And so I, we're on spring break. And so I come on, I'll ask my wife, so what in the hell am I supposed to do? And she goes, I don't know, baby, it's a test. And so, dude, I packed a suit. I went and I remember checking in. It was at the Bryant uh, Hotel. I checked in at like, I don't know, 730, 8 o'clock. I checked in, and five minutes after I checked in, I got a phone call. It said, be over there at 8 o'clock in the morning. Wow. It was, it, was, it, was, it was different. So at that point, I mean, you're not a you, – you've worked around. You've been at D1 level for a long time. Is it This is probably an outsider question, but, like, did were you surprised that he knew who you were? Like, what, what was that – like, what was the shock level? Um, I, I've met Nick before he wouldn't remember, um, you know, cause they recruited the players when I was at a high school coach. And right when he got the job, he actually signed a couple of our kids, uh, Mark Barron, AJ McCarron, uh, Destin Hood, Ivan Match had four of our guys actually, um, in his first class or first, second class, whatever it was. Um, but he wouldn't know me from the other side of, you know, anybody, but Kirby knew who I was. Uh, I knew Kirby, um, I knew Lance. And so I think that's how my name came up. Oh, those were the two guys that I knew in the building at that time. Uh, I saw Kirby a ton on the road recruiting, even back to Arkansas State days. Um, so I knew those guys, and that's how my name came up. But I, he did not know me. I think he I was recommended to him by people on staff. What does that interview go like? Uh, it was a typical – I mean, I say typical, you probably don't know. But um, go in, it's like a car wash, you meet with a bunch of people. Um, and then um, – I remember going in and it was kind of now that I now I know it's an anomaly. I didn't know it was an anomaly at the time. Um, I didn't have a lot of pressure on me because I had a job. Sure. You know, I wasn't unemployed or anything like that. And so I was just I was very relaxed and I didn't. Um, and maybe I was young and dumb and cocky. I don't know what I, what it was, but I sat in there with Nick for almost an hour and a half, which does not happen. You know, now that I've worked with him, that doesn't happen. And so I sat with him and, and he asked me, he says, why do you want this job? And I looked at him without even hesitating. I said, I don't want this job. I said, I want your job. 
Oh, hell yeah. What a boss. Does that come to you in the moment? I bet after you're like, damn, that was good. Um, yeah, I thought it was really good after the moment. I, after I said it, I was like, ah, I don't know if that one that was great. But I really didn't. All, all kidding aside, I wasn't I wasn't looking to leave, man. I, right. I wasn't um I wasn't looking to leave. I wasn't I wasn't actively looking for a job. I was very happy. I, I was ex- I mean, you know, still to this day, I mean, I don't know if that was the right decision or not. I mean, I think it was. Um it was hard. That was a hard decision to leave. Um, that was very difficult. And so we talked. I knew I was getting a job when he said, hey, I'm going down to practice. Do you want to come watch or do you or do you need it? And I mean, like he was going to invite me if I was not taking the job. He's inviting the guy at Ole Miss to come watch practice. So yeah, he did not. Yeah. I knew something was up. And so he goes, he goes, well, how long is it going to take you to get home? I said, about three hours. He says, I'll call you at six o'clock. And, dude, I kid you not, when my phone clicked, I literally was in Oxford. I hadn't got home yet, but I was in the city limits. I was actually um, right off campus going. We we had a house back then over by um, uh, the golf course. Yeah. And I was actually um, the university golf course back there. And um, I was driving through town almost by the police station. And uh, it hit 6 o'clock. And as soon as my phone hit 6 o'clock, my phone rang, and he offered me the job. Wow. What's the uh, when was the first moment where you're like this is different working for Nick Saban? Did you have like a reality check after you started? Yeah, I told one. I told one the other day. I had a few. I can't repeat. I can't tell the story of my real first welcome to Alabama. Okay. Moment. Um, I won't. That one's gonna go. I'll tell you off the air, but I won't. I won't say it on podcast. Um, because it's it would be bad. But there's there were several. Um, but the one the Kiva Dunes one that that we were sitting in like he was going ape shit about not being late for the meeting and told me not to let him be late. And then he waited till an hour before our tea time in Gulf Shores before we, uh, before we left the building and we made it. I, I, I was sitting in, in the staff room in Tuscaloosa at 1057 and hit my first tee shot at 1157, one hour later in Gulf Shores. Is that a, that's not a drive, is it? No, that's a flight. I was about to say, yeah, that seems almost impossible. It's like my God, it would be a really long drive. No, it was a, it was just it is amazing. Like there was no, um, the days were long, but they didn't seem long. Everything was very um, regimented. Everything was very extremely organized, down to everything. Um, the the most amazing thing though, after working there, is how the guy like he works. He's not a guy that says, hey, you work hard, I'm not. He is the hardest working human being in college football. Um, and just to see him do that every single day. And, you know, like I said, the most impressive thing about him is he could flick the bird to everybody today, and he's still going to be the greatest head coach that ever lived in college football, uh, in my opinion, and arguably amongst anybody's opinion. Um, but he works like he went 0-12 last year. You know what I mean? He, his work ethic is unmatched. Um, in every phase, he's involved in everything. And uh, like he told me, he said, you know, when he hired me, he says, I'm not hiring you to run your shit. I'm hiring you to run my shit. And if you do do like he wants you to get it done, it's, it's, not, it's not hard. If you do it your own way, which he calls independent contractors, you get your ass ripped. So I learned really quick to do it his way. What is the uh, public on-air answer to, is there any difference recruiting at Alabama versus Ole Miss? Yes. <laughs> yeah, What's I mean, the biggest difference? Because obviously, um, I mean, you walk in and you're Alabama, it's not the same if you're Ole Miss. I, I get that piece of it. But what is the actual like, biggest tangible difference? 
the biggest difference is it's not recruiting at Alabama, it's evaluation. Um, you're going to get who you want to get. You can't get the word offer out of your mouth fast enough for them to commit. Um, so it's not about it's not about the actual recruiting part and the, you know, getting to know the families and all that stuff. I always say the best recruiter in the building is the, the A on the chest, right? I mean, anybody can be a super recruiter there. That's not hard. It's like shooting fish in a barrel from an actual recruiting standpoint. The, and that's where I was really good for me in my career was the evaluation part. And I'd spent so much time with like, you know, when you're at Ole Miss, okay, hey, we got these, these are our top five or six guys on the board. Let's find what one or two that we can go and actually recruit and then recruit the hell out of them. And then it, even those one and two, it's going to be a battle between, you know, Arkansas, Tennessee, you know, whoever, you got this battle. Um, there's not those battles at Alabama. I mean, there are some, but not very many. Um, it's just not as much actual, you know, relationships and all of, it, those things aren't as important there. I mean, they're important, but I'm saying like it's more about picking the right guy than it is, you know, recruiting one of the top six. You played college football. How much learning does it take for the evaluation part? I remember vividly one time, I think it was one of the first times I ever met you. I was standing out at a practice. I think I was standing next to you in Weldon. And I asked one of y'all something, and I think you pointed to kid named CJ something who was a safety. I don't think he ever panned out at Ole Miss, number six. Uh, maybe CJ's not the right term. But you were like, look at this kid. And you pointed at his hips, and you're like, that's NFL hips. I'm not telling you that kid's an NFL player, but the way he twists and turns, and I was like, okay. That now I can kind of see it. I could never see it on my own. How much learning did that take for you? Like in terms of being an actual evaluator versus just a guy who played football and kind of knows how it works. Well, I think time, I mean, I, I think experience and anything kind of the older you get and the more you do it, I'm just a big reps guy. Right. I mean, you can't, you're not just going to come out of the womb knowing what a guy looks like. You know, I, I was um, even like with, I, th I mean, coaching high school, that's another, I mean, Coaching in Mobile at that time when I was down there, there are so many players that are still playing. You know, I mean, dude, this was like 04 to 07. So what's that? I mean, at the earliest 16 years ago. And yeah. there were guys that were playing. I mean, Rodney Hudson, who's an all-pro captain. I, he was with Raiders last night. He, he played maybe the Bills or somebody now. I don't remember who's with. But he's been playing for years. You know, A.J. McCarron was my quarterback. Um, Mark Barron just retired. He was all-pro. Um, I mean, we can go C.J. Mosley, Julio Jones, uh, you know, so many guys. I looked at one time, like out of that during at in Mobile, at one time there were like 41 active NFL players as a high from those two classes. And so every single week you know what they look like, right? Um, and so you remember what they were in high school and how they moved. And so that was kind of like a bar, you know, and so I could kind of use that as a cheat code. But you got to you you learn when I went to Alabama. Um, Joe Pendry and Kevin Steele, who Kevin Steele is now back at Alabama, they taught me a ton off of film evaluation. I mean, I had to learn. I learned it was almost like when I was thirty five, I guess, when I went there, and it's like you know you felt like you've learned everything. I didn't know shit. You know, I, I learned so much from an evaluation standpoint from those from those two guys. You know, Joe Pendry is one of the most respected guys in the business, and that you probably never heard of. Um, but he was an old, old guy that was had uh, worked in the NFL for like 30 years. He was with Nick with the Dolphins. He was actually what people don't realize is, I mean, he's, he's still or was still very involved uh, in the offense. That's his offense that's at Alabama to this day, um, his terminology. So 
Um, he taught me a ton, big old line guy. Um, and he was actually, he, he took a break a couple of years ago when the a, uh, AAF was running. He was actually the GM for the Birmingham team. Okay. Uh, and he was with the USFL. He was the head coach of a, a team in the USFL and it's original back in the day. Um, so learned a lot from him. Kevin Steele, an, another guy that I've learned a ton from evaluating. Um, and then he kind of helped me with the coaching side of it applying the evals from a coaching standpoint towards evaluations, but learned a lot from those guys. But when you see it and, you know, you trust your eyes and you kind of, you know, I've been very lucky to be around some guys that, you know, and I learned, I try to learn from everybody. Right. I, I don't, I'm not, I never said that I was the greatest guy ever. Um, I always tried to learn. I didn't, I wasn't so prideful that I didn't listen and learn like Mike McIntyre, one of the best live eval guys and I'd be like, I think this kid sucks, right? And he'd be like, I, he loves the guy. And I'm like, okay, tell me what you're seeing. And, and I just, I was kind of just, you know, trying to learn from every, as many people as I could. You know, if I'm going to be around those guys, you don't just, you know, you don't want to get to know them as people. I want to pick their brain and, and figure out why they're so good. What's the biggest misconception about working for Nick Saban? Um, that he that he's his uh, biggest misconception is his personality. He's really, really? he's a he's a funny dude. Interesting. You can kind of see that in like clips now that come out. Yeah, where he, he lets it out a little bit more now. He he lets it out a little bit more now than he used to. Um, and then he's got a massive heart. That's probably the two biggest misconceptions. He is one of the most caring coaches that I've worked for. As far as like one of the players relationships and all that stuff. I mean, he's got, he's got, a, that's probably the biggest misconception is um, his, his kind heart. And, uh, and, uh, He's a funny. He's a funny guy. Why'd you go back to South Alabama? I uh, to coach, why'd you go to yeah, South Alabama? Wanted to coach. You know, that's that's one thing. I made some great relationships, great friends, all that stuff. Um, so I don't regret that part. Um, I probably would have stuck it out another year or two at Alabama if if I had to go back in time. Um, I just I I was tired. I, I wanted to coach, man. It was really important to me. Um, I kind of was on the on the path of to, I wanted to be a head coach, and so. I was on that path and I felt like I got off the path and I wanted to get back on it. Um, probably wasn't the best decision I've made to do that. Um, but I don't regret it. I mean, I, I, I mean, hell, I got a, my seven year old was born down there. You know, I got, there's a lot of things, positive things that come out of it. Um, but if you just, if I, if I had to go back, I knew, if I knew I still had my kids and all that stuff, everybody was healthy and everybody's good. I probably would have stayed a, um, another year or, so, or two at uh, Alabama. That's what I was curious about. I was wondering because you mentioned you didn't necessarily see yourself as like a recruiting guy. Like I imagine the reason you took that at that point was like, all right, this is a path back on the field path to becoming a head coach. So that makes sense. You wear many hats at G5 schools, not a lot of uh, not as much money to spend on different specializations, different positions. You were the receivers coach and recruiting coordinator. Is that actually a job for one person? No, it's uh, it's it's hard. Um, I bet. I didn't, I didn't want to do it. Um, I, I was contrary, I actually own a recruiting company and I hate recruiting. I mean, that's probably what people don't realize about me. I don't really enjoy it. Um, I enjoy going and actually recruiting the kids. I enjoy going, I enjoy evaluating, but I don't enjoy the photo shoots. I don't enjoy the ass kissing. That's not me. So um, I wanted to coach and that's kind of my thing. And that's, you know, um, I actually like the coaching, the X's and O's and those things. That's where my passion is. And it's just something that I was passionate about, right? But then when you go to 
south and, and you know, I, Joey Jones was a head coach and I told him I didn't want to do it anymore. And so my first year I wasn't. And then he asked me to do it the second year and felt that I could help. And so I decided to kind of help a little bit my last two years there. So then you go to Ole Miss for a recruiting position. They've now changed the titles of these, you know, recruiting coordinator. I mean, they're throwing chief of staff in there. Next thing, there's going to be like lieutenant governor for uh, recruiting relations. I forget what your title was, but you were kind of running the show. What led what led you to go back to the recruiting side? Did you just kind of make your peace with it? Was it just that much better of an offer? Why would you go to Ole Miss again? Um, I missed – once you get in the SEC, there is a um, – a level of organization, there's a level of importance um, that makes your job easy and makes you, you know, make there's something to that. And, you know, uh, Matt Luke and I are really good friends. Um, I actually, uh, I te- guess I technically took the job. I had two weeks left in the season. I was ready. I, I, had, I knew that, you know, after three years there, I kind of knew that my, what my market was, I had some, you know, I had some opportunities to go do coaching. I had some opportunities to go do recruiting. And, and I mean, it's pretty simple. It, now I'm getting I'm getting closer to 40 years old. Okay, I can go make X amount of dollars coaching or I can go make twice as much doing recruiting. I mean, it's, right. you, know, you know, and I've got three kids and, you know, and you start going, okay, I'm 40. I'm not going to be doing this forever. So I need to make, need to cash in while I can. So that was part of it. Um, but going back and working with Matt Luke, um, you know, he's a good friend of mine. It was similar um, to what with Freeze as far as like the comfortable being a coach, you know, being a family guy and all that stuff. And, you know, it, it, work, it wasn't hard, you know, going, you enjoyed going to work and things like that. And so um, that was a big, that was a big part of it. Um, I had, a, I could have gone back to Alabama and I didn't, I came, I came here and then um, came back here and that was kind of part of it was, Really, you know, I had three kids and a, a newborn at the time, and so that was, you know, run it back. As if taking I won't a- run it back, but we ran it. We tried to run it back. We it didn't have long. You know, somebody pees in the end zone, gets your ass fired after a year, but uh, we didn't have long to run it back. But we tried. As if taking a job like that, where you're running recruiting in an SEC program, isn't hard enough. You guys have a bit of an obstacle with this whole NCA circus that lasted half a decade. How much did that affect you day to day? I don't feel like people give that enough credence because people forget about that side of it. And they're like, Oh, it just didn't work out. He didn't win enough. I'm like, well, they're really dealing with an even playing field for a while. How hard is that to do your job on a daily basis when you have that? I mean, distraction is not the right word, but that in the room every day. You know, we can we can go back and do revisionist history and all that, and everybody can say all oh, of this and that. We got this guy, got that guy. You know he he that's that whole staff never had a chance. And I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot. I probably don't need to be saying it on this podcast. I've learned a lot since since we got let go. I've kind of I didn't know a lot of the story when we got fired, uh, but I've spent the last couple of years gathering the facts about the story. Uh, that, that that staff never had the chance uh, to be successful. Um, it wasn't. And so the, the, I guess the plan worked out to the way it was supposed to work out. But anyway, um, I'm neither here nor there, but the, the pro stuff was brutal um, when it came to actual recruiting, because at Ole Miss, you've got to actually recruit. And so you're always fighting negative recruiting. It never stops. And it, it, Ole Miss doesn't need help. It already has negative recruiting issues you got to deal with anyway. So just added on to that. A lot of uncertainty with, you know, bowl eligibility and all that stuff. And it's just hard to recruit kids. And, you know, we had one class and then got fired. So it's in you got a 25 limit, no portal. I mean, the the roster was decimated. And 
you know, I think at one time, I think this was the number, so somebody can fact check me, but um, I think the number was seven starters that left, that left, that were supposed to be there, that had gone into other places when they got the free transfer and all that stuff. And, you know, it was just, it was just difficult, but, you know, I, it's not, I didn't know, it's not like I didn't know that. It was difficult when we came here in 12 too. They hadn't won a damn game in two years or something in the SEC. So, uh, you know, you know what you're getting yourself into and you're on the bottom floor trying to get it, get it built back up, but I uh, wish we had a little bit more time. Um, I think we would have seen uh, results and, but I'm happy. I'm happy that the fans got what they wanted and, and they got, they got Lane in here and they got a chance to win uh, 10 games, whatever, a couple of years ago. And now, and now they're, he's playing with his guys. So we'll see how that goes. Tom is a very rare asset in in that profession and you mentioned like you don't get much of it but is it so you guys get fired and and you know lane comes in and they have success immediately with a lot of guys that you guys recruited and like what is that actually like reconciling like i imagine it's not like vitriol toward the current coaching staff or anything but what is it like seeing kind of the foundation that you guys laid being used you know successfully by the next staff do you get over it pretty quickly what's that like watching it um it's hard it's hard to say there there's I don't have any bitterness towards the people that I have bitterness towards aren't there anymore. So that that's, I don't have bitterness towards Ole Miss. Sure. Um, I don't have, but I still live here. Right. I, I, I like, um, I have people, I, I don't, it drives, it pisses me off a little bit when people have opinions and they don't know the facts that pisses me off. There's a lot of that these days. A lot of that these days. It pisses me off when, um, I could burn the motherfucker down and I don't. Okay. Is that a gentleman's agreement thing or like, is that just, I I don't have anything to gain by it. Okay. You know, I don't, I don't want to do, I mean, I don't, you know, that, that, that bothers me a little bit, Um, but, um, and when I see people attack certain people that I'm close to and that I know gave everything they they had to the universe, that that is uncalled for. I don't, I don't like, but the fans are going to be fans. That's cool. Whatever. I'm used to it. Um, But to answer your question, when it comes to seeing you, you, I like seeing you know you want to see the kids that that you recruited and that you know and you know their families do well and uh, and we've had a chance to do that in the last couple of years you know um, you know I, there's some there's a few still there like you know Cedric Johnson I was telling somebody today on Neil's board I was like you know it was just I, I signed his brother you know and, and what 2017 or something I signed his brother and, his, and I've known the kids since he was in eighth grade and. Never knew that he was going to be a football player. Like it didn't. Even, like I remember going to the home visit, and you know, uh, so his brother's name Cephas, and his dad's name's uh, Cephas Senior, right? So I was like, I call him Big Cephas. I was like, Hey, he's going to be a football player too. And I'm like, and then sure enough, he turns into a football player, and that, that's cool to me, you know. And and him just being, you know, a little kid, you know, when I when I met him and I was doing a home visit, he's a little kid. And now he's 270 pounds playing defensive tackle. Blow that that stuff's weird. Uh, but I enjoy seeing stuff like that. I enjoy seeing, you know, Nick Brokers of the world, Caleb Warren. See, there's, you know, nobody recruited Caleb Warren, you know, and so he's he's doing really well. And and you know, and you see, you know, other guys that you recruited that were gonna be here in the 2020 class, and then we get fired and they go off to other places and have success. You know, you got Chris Abrams Drain at, at Missouri, who's probably gonna be a first round pick next year. He's all SEC corner and you got Robert Scott, who was a freshman All-American tackle at Florida State. It's going to be a first, you know, first or second round pick, and they were going to be here. I, I like seeing that kind of stuff, but uh, but I, I like uh, I want I, I like generally like the people here and like the fans and and 
willing to be happy with uh with the product that they have. Your next pivot's the most interesting one. What you're doing now versus I know you've had opportunities to go elsewhere. You've told me about a couple of them. I don't know if you've made like how many of them public, but whatever. None, what just none, so don't yeah, okay. Me. That's what I figured. That's why I didn't just go out and say, What was it yeah. like not working for so and so? So the tame version. What led you to make the pivot into what you're doing now? Because it also coincides with this whole global pandemic thing that in part led to what I'm doing now. It changed a lot of people's lives. When you get fired at Ole Miss, what's next? I know you have opportunities. What led you to stay out of it and continue on this path that you're on now? Well, first of all, I'd like to thank uh, – this will also get your show canceled, but I would also like to thank uh, Ross Bjork and Michael Thompson because they are <laughs> – they are uh, my – That will my, not get the show canceled, I promise. Besides my um, besides my uh, wife and my kids and my parents, that's they're right there next to them. Um, I got uh, I got a very long contract extension about four months before we got fired. Like, as Ross was walking out the door, that was like the last thing I think he did. So I'd forgotten got, about this. But when we got fired, dude, well, I so <laughs> we got fired. I actually my contract rolled over for another 30 months once um at December 31st at 501 p.m. My contract rolls over and I got fired on December 31st at like 3:30 p.m. So I, I almost made it. I almost made it to another, I almost got rolled over for another 30 months, but uh, that's also that's all, contract is also a reason so I wasn't here. Um, so, but it was good. Um, anyway, long story short is I have mitigation in my contract, which means if I'm getting paid X amount of dollars by one school, and I go to another school, they pay me, and then Ole Miss would pay the difference or whatever. Um, and so um, I was Ross and Michael took very good care of me um, along with Matt Luke, and I wasn't going somewhere and working for free. I knew that, and so. Uh, had some things. Um, had two two opportunities that were going to supersede that. Um, had taken one of them um, on a Monday, so I take one on a Monday verbally. And the if I've said it, I've said it. I can't remember if I've said it on a podcast or not, so I'm not going to say it just in case I haven't. That's why um, I didn't say it. That's why I was like, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know if I've said this on a podcast or not, so I don't know. My CTE kicks in. I can't remember. So I take the job. It was with the SEC school. I take a job on a Monday and I said, well, when do you want me to start? And he said, uh, said coach said, um, you're on spring break this week. We're on spring break next week. He says, once you start that next Monday, that'll give the time for the lawyers to, to talk and get the mitigation worked out. Cool. So I call my wife up and I'm driving back. Got a long drive. And I said, Hey, I said, well, the kids, we're on spring break here in Oxford. And I said, hey, why don't you get the kids and meet me in Nashville? And I'm going to um, – we'll go take – because my boys love basketball, right? So I was, we'll take the boys to the SEC basketball tournament and spend some time together because I'm going to be gone for a while. And she was like, awesome. So she books an Airbnb. We go to the Nashville, the basketball tournament. And because I was sitting in the stands two days later – Oh, wow. When the pandemic hits and everything shuts down. So I make a call to the head coach and I said, Hey, what do you want to do? He goes, Hey, we're not coming in the office right now. And so that turned into, we're not coming in the office right now to a hiring freeze. And so I never went. And um, for reasons I won't talk about on podcast, it's a good thing I didn't go because that would probably have been curtains for your boy on a, on a football career. That's wild how that turns out. And so from that standpoint, 
Well, first of all, I had one thing that I missed. The, you've told the story on Neil, your Neil's podcast about getting fired. It's crazy to me how you football guys work. Like getting fired is supposed to be like a major life event. I think you told the story where like you guys were coming back from a recruiting trip. You figure out you're about to get fired. I think you called your wife. And I think her first, you know, first concern was like, are the kids going to see it on TV? Not like, oh, God, how does this happen? How does this work? Like you guys are so desensitized to that. It's almost like a well-fined art where it's like, all right, moving company, we'll figure this out. Like how big of a trooper do you have to be to kind of hitch your wagon to someone in the football world with the job security being that volatile? Well, you can't anymore. I think it's you know, the way it is now, it's, you know, that was kind of one of the reasons I decided to do what I'm doing now is sure. I've moved 10 times, man. And, and, and I'm, I'm with what I do. I'm a hired mercenary. That's what I do. And you go in, you build a roster and you don't even get to see it to fruition most of the time. Right. So you leave or go for whatever reason. And, you know, it was like, same thing here on this. I'm, I'm at home watching Matt Corral and Elijah Moore and AJ Finley and Cedric Johnson and all these guys go have great days, you know, and I, you know, we didn't, you know, you know, don't get to enjoy it. And same thing at Alabama, you know, I mean, you know, the guys, I, I actually worked at Alabama the two years we didn't win a national championship, but every kid I recruited won three, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, you get to see them have the success and, and you don't get to be a part of it a lot of times. And that, that part sucks that if you, that's the part, probably why I really enjoyed my time at Arkansas state was that I was there long enough to see it through fruition. Like we sucked. And then we end up winning the championship. So those parts are probably what you get the enjoyment out of. That's, that's probably the lost loss and all that, but yeah, getting fired. It's, uh, that was unique. We have full moon barbecue and, and, uh, and McCalla, Alabama is where we got fired. And it's not your typical firing scenario. I don't think you had a boss call you in and say, hey, sorry, we're going to have to let you go. It, your, your firing is very unique. Didn't you figure out basically like reading the body language of uh, Matt Luke? No. Um, we had been told early in the day that we were good for the next year. And we knew we needed to win. We were told approximately, I don't know, somewhere around, let's call it 10.57 a.m. that we were good. Just roundabout number. Um, and then – Went and saw a guy on a plane, went and flew and saw a kid, did a home visit. Uh, had another home visit at 7 o'clock with Robbie Ashford, who is now the Auburn quarterback. Um, he was committed to us, and we were going to a home visit for him. We were hungry, so we stopped to get some Full Moon Barbecue. They got these chocolate chip cookies, dude. They put the chocolate chip cookies at Full Moon Barbecue is where it's at. Not a sponsor. Need to be. Um but uh, I was I was stuffing my face with uh, full moon barbecue uh, cookies and got a tap on the window. Matt, I got a phone call and went outside in the parking lot and uh, to take the phone call. I was sitting there in the in the booth just crushing my cookie, and he tapped on the window and said, "Come on." Got in the car and went back to the, got fired. That's when I found out we got fired. How awkward is that car ride? I mean, dude, uh, not really. I mean. Well, you're, you're all in the same boat. Awkward is probably the wrong word. Is, is it quiet? Like, that's just – I don't know. That just um, has to be such a – I don't – I, don't re- I mean, I remember – I was driving, so I, I, it was just me and Matt in the car. Um, oh, God. I don't remember it being – I don't know. I don't remember it being – I mean, me and Matt are friends, you know, so it was yeah. – we're in the same boat. So, I mean, it was more just like – because you're not worried about money. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's where it's different. If you just want to say what's different, you're not worried about where you're going to eat 
tomorrow yeah. or how you're going to feed your family or pay your bills. You're not worried about that part. Um, you're more worried about, and like you said, I was more worried about my kids and my wife and, you know, and so the whole reason that I'm pissed about getting fired has nothing to do with getting fired, by the way. The right. reason I'm pissed, I was pissed about getting fired was we were told that we were going to be able to get home. And I we had coaches in living rooms, right? I mean, I'm not the worst story. There's we had we had coaches that were actually in a home visit with a kid that's still playing at Ole Miss. They ended up still signing. We had two coaches with his entire family sitting in there, and the dad saw it on Twitter and told them why they were pitching the kid. That's bad. That's bad business, and that that's what pisses me off. That story doesn't get told a lot, but we were told I was going to be able to get everybody out, you know, get out of the awkward stuff be able to get home and, and tell your family so they don't see it on social media or whatever. And uh, well, it was only a 30 minute ride on the plane. So it wasn't far. Um, and that's what we were told. And I got on the plane and when we came out of the clouds landing in Oxford, you know, you start getting cell service again because you don't turn your cell phone off on the school plane. It's not right. Not Delta. And so when I came and we started getting close and we started getting cell reception, my phone blew up and my wife uh, sent me a text and did we get fired? And so that, that pissed me off. It's not about any, any, if you told me, said, Hey, look, you need to call and tell your family right now, because this is not going to be able to you, tell me that. Don't tell me that we got time or whatever. And then, and then backtrack on it 30 minutes later. That, that That's what pissed me off. Not that we got fired, not that whatever, not that Elijah P. Nins on none of that stuff pissed me off. Wait, wait, yeah, it did. But you get my point. I'm more, I'm still pissed about that. Um, and I would, I would like to throat punch that individual if I ever see him again. Fair enough. One of the last things I wanted to get to before I keep you all night is building a business because you make this pivot into a different career space, kind of. I mean, still using all your football skills and terminology, but you decide that, okay, I'm going to do this instead of coaching. Did you know the first thing about building a business? How intimidating was that? How did you go about doing that? What was kind of the starting point? Yeah, so it's really not, you know, because the budgets that I managed were pretty big. Um, yeah. You know, so managing the budgets and doing all that stuff from a business, I literally run the business just like we ran the recruiting department. And, I, and okay. so that part really wasn't that difficult, you know, getting it, got a really good developer. That's if anybody tries to do a computer, any kind of anything in technology, a developer is the most important person um, because you can get good ones, you can get bad ones, but got very lucky, had a guy that could take what was in my brain and put it on and put it on the software really quick and really good. Um, and he's, still helps us and he's still very good. And, um, but I, I knew, uh, had an inside track on the business understanding cause I had to write the checks for so long. So I knew what the market was. I knew what, who the competitors were. I knew what area I had to hit, uh, with that. And then was able to kind of, um, just put it together, man. Just like, you know, and I, again, it's just like football. Right. So I had to, when I came back with Matt, I had to start from the ground zero. So I built this thing, you know, already done it twice, you know, from scratch. And so I, I use the exact same blueprint, you know, step-by-step, day-by-day. This is what you do day one, day two, and you build it. And, and essentially what we have is a privately owned recurring department. That's what I was going to ask next. You mentioned right at the top of this podcast, you don't have a competitor. What makes quick recruiting different? And was that the intention when you went in? Yeah, so it was. I, I had the idea for like seven years or eight years, and I started getting it when I was at Alabama. And then I go to South Alabama, we didn't have the resources. And so what are basically without getting too in detail about and putting people to sleep, what we do is I have a privately owned recruiting department and 
we manage the database just like it's our own team. Okay. And it's, it's more than a database. we got logistical tools. we got everything because I took, I had to write the checks for so long. And so, and when you're writing checks to these companies, you're getting, you know, you're getting this bit of information. You're getting that information. It's like, if you go to Kroger, you want to make a cake tonight. Okay. You go to Kroger, you're going to go buy flour, buy sugar, milk, eggs, all that stuff. And so what I do is I bake the cake and I sell the cake. All right. So, um, and it's a designer cake. And so, so, we that's essentially how we do things. Um, it's everything that we would have to purchase as a recruiting department to make the final product we put in one system. And for, you know, especially with a group of five schools and smaller schools like that, what they're able to do is they're able to run an SEC recruiting department because we are the man hours. We are the resources. So they're able to work. They, they're using all of our work. All right, to be able to run basically a very high level recruiting department for the same cost as a student assistant. So for them, it's a win. Wow. You know, so um, and and depending and you can get as much out of it as you want to get out of it. If you're really organized, I think uh, Maryland and Oklahoma probably do the are two of the probably in, uh, in Mississippi State are probably three of the best that get the most out of the system because um, they use it literally every single thing that we do and everybody's really deep into it. So you, you got some schools that just use this for the film stuff. So you, you got, you know, you can get as much out of it as you want to get out of it. You know, LSU does a good job. They use, um, they use a ton of it and they get, and they get a lot of it as well. Kind of the last thing you mentioned, you know, the decision to get out, you start this business looking two, three years back. Now, would you have imagined that you're as content as you are there? Because like, I remember from my standpoint, I was actually in Dallas for a marketing job interview the day the world shut down and I'm driving back and I'm like, this interview didn't go great and the world is shutting down. I'm not sure how well this is going to go, but I'm still working at the radio company. I'm, I'd am i say one foot in, one foot out at that point. I knew I probably wanted to do something different. My now fiance was living out in Dallas, Fort Worth at the time. That's kind of why I wanted to get out there. But then I just remember I ended up getting laid off because of budget cuts. And I remember sitting there one day after it happened, I was like, well, shit, man, this didn't really work out the way you planned. You know, you thought in 10 years, maybe ESPN, some national gig. And uh, now now you got nothing. But like now, two years later, I've never envisioned the rivals piece of it. I can now do all this and write how I want and then not have to go sit in a press box with a bunch of nerds every Saturday. I can kind of do what I want. And I never Allegedly. thought I would be like Allegedly. discontent. Now I would never go back. And not to put words in your mouth, but did you would you ever imagine that it would have worked out this way? It's kind of funny how that happens. Um, I mean, I think I hoped, you know, um, I didn't know, man. I, so I purposely had the idea. I told myself, I'm not really going to fully commit to this thing till football season starts. Right. And so I remember I was, so the day, you know, August was weird. You know, that's the first time, like pandemic was pandemic. Everybody was at home. Every staff was at home. It was just a weird time. Right. And then people started going back to work. It's, you know, it's never going to have football season. Well, all my buddies are now like coaching. I don't talk. Right. August was strange for me. Um, and I'm really not. Um, I'm actually a pretty cool guy to hang out with. I just don't like I still to this day outside of football. It's it's hard for me to find because I've it's my life, man. I, it's your friends are always the guys you work with. Right. And so it's really hard for me. I don't know. It's a trust factor or, you know, I'm always worried I'll end up saying something and somebody will put something on a message board or something. I've always, I'm always paranoid about that. So, cause I got plenty of that because I'm trying not to burn places down. Right. So, um, 
but August was hard because everybody was at practice and I didn't have anything. And I remember the first, that was the pandemic year. So remember everything was like pushed back two weeks or something, right? Yeah. That Saturday, first game day Saturday. All right. I am like lost when I wake up. I got up at like 5 a.m. I mean, I am lost. And dude, I got, I went out and I like to walk. And so I went on like the longest walk ever. I don't know, my wife, I don't remember this year, probably sleep. I bet I walked for 15 miles. I walked forever. And I got, so I left the house at like 6 a.m. I remember walking back in the house at like 10.30. So I was going for like four and a half hours of straight walking. How long I walked. And I was straight in the neighborhood. So I lived over there by Neil. So he probably was like, what in the hell is wrong with this guy? And so I just kept just doing circles, right? And um, I got home and I turned on the 11 o'clock game. And dude, at, by ha at halftime, I got up, I ordered a pizza and got a beer. <laughs> And started clicking around. I was like, man, this isn't half bad. And, and dude, ever since then, I've, I, I enjoy it, man. It's like I get to see what the other world's like. I'm able to be a dad. I'm coaching my kids' teams now. Like, you know, um, Yalabusha Giants, shout out to the Yalabusha Giants. We're making our debut with a 15U this weekend. We get our teeth kicked in this weekend. So we haven't practiced yet, but we've got a tournament this weekend. Um, I'm, I'm able to, to – coach my kids teams i'm able to be a dad i'm able to be a husband and what's weird is my my kids my older kids are pissed because my seven-year-old doesn't know me as a as a coach because he was right. so he doesn't remember and i get to do all that stuff with with him that i didn't get to i've never you know that i didn't get to do with the other two right and we're running out of time and um it kind of sad, man. It really is when you go back and you think about it. Cause I'm like looking up and, you know, thinking about the other day. I mean, Neil was talking about his daughter graduating and it was sad. And, and as soon as we left that pot, I left the tape in the show the other day and I was driving, driving home or driving back to work. And I was thinking about what Neil was saying about his daughter about graduating and this, you know, all this. And I realized going back that, you know, I got two years left with my oldest son but I feel like I just met him. Right. It's sad. That part's sad. And you go years, man. I mean, people don't understand. I went, I went years missing my kids. I didn't get to go to their, to their baseball practices or their games. I catch one every once in a while. Um, but you miss a lot of stuff, man. And it's not free. You know, what we were talking about the other day, nothing in life is free, but uh, you have to give up a lot. And I, I just, just not, you know, no one's seeing both sides of it. It's that part I do not regret. Um, I've had opportunities. Obviously, my business is going well, so I'm not. But um, I've had opportunities to go back. Um, I've had, you know, I guess probably as recent as January um, for a couple places. And I just, it's not. And for and the money's getting dumb now. The money is like stupid dumb what it was. I mean, it's even now it's almost double what it was when I was doing it. And I, it's just not it's not worth it. You know, there's a lot of things in life that I think I spent a lot of time in my early, early days chasing a check and I swore I'd never chase it again. And, and I've been a lot happier since. Is there any element of the portal aspect of it where you're just having to recruit your own roster, keep kids out? It almost seems like a 24 seven job. Now, is that a turnoff to you? I mean, yes, it is, but it didn't, I mean, you're going to be working regardless. It's just a matter of what you're doing. Right. And, um, there's a lot of burnout in recruiting staffs and I was very lucky though, that we were where I was at, you know, at Ole Miss at Alabama, at those places, you got plenty of resources you, that there's enough to do. Right. And you got enough people to help, um, still overwhelming at times, 
but the 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 why, why I don't like the portal is more it's not really because of the portal and the work the work is the work it's the uncertainty like you can't be right in your job like right. you can't build a roster because you don't know who's going to be here tomorrow much less next year um and so it's hard, you know, my whole deal is, okay, we got this guy, we got to replace him, we got to get better. Well, hell, you may have to replace the top four guys at that spot. You, I mean, you never know. And it's just, it's it's put roster building at, you're, you're not, you're putting a, you're like the little dyke boy putting your finger in the dam. You, you're not fixing anything. You're just stopping floods. When you become old grandpa Siski that doesn't care anymore, can I ghostwrite your burn it down book? Maybe we can call burning it down by Tyler Siski. I got to make sure a lot of people are out of coaching before I do that. Um I got. Um, I told a story today, though, about when my when I um, when I get ready to write my book one day. But yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know if if I would probably be swimming with the fishes if I did something like that. So I'm gonna. I'm probably gonna try to choose uh, choose life instead of doing something like that. I heard that as a resounding yes. I'll have my pa- people send your people the paperwork and where to go from there. He is Tyler Siski, man. I really appreciate the time. I swear, I intend to keep you this long. This was awesome stuff, my man, and I I really appreciate you doing this. Yeah, brother. Enjoyed it. And that will do it for our show today. Really appreciate Siski's time. I enjoyed that a ton. I hope you did as well. We'll be back later on in the week. Thanks for listening to this show as always, and uh, have a great middle part of your week.